get to know you. All right, you guys ready for the word? Yeah. All right. Well, as we were worshiping, I was thinking a little bit about how Christmas is this consistent thing that happens right every year. And how many times that Christmas has fallen upon us when times on the earth were very difficult. I mean, we think about the Vietnam War, we think about just World War I, World War II, we think about all the just refugee crises that have happened, genocides, um, just all the things that have happened throughout history. But then all of a sudden Christmas comes along right in the middle of it. Thank God for that, because it points to a future world. Of course, it goes back 2,000 years and reminds us of the birth of Jesus, but it also reminds us that Christ came for a reason. He came to set things straight. He came to set something in motion that will eventually overtake the whole earth. The glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so the hope that we have at Christmas time is this hope of a future world. And certainly the masks remind us that this present state of things is not the ideal. Um, just the amount of death and tornadoes and wildfires and violence that has happened just in 2021. Boy, do we need hope of a future world. And that's what I really want to talk about today. I really want to look at the theme of love today, the Advent theme of love. You know, as human beings, we are built for love, right? We need love. And yet we strain in this world to fully take hold of it. I mean, we, we taste it. We taste love, right? In, in maybe romance that we experience or the love of children. Children are just so wild in their love. Um, maybe some of you have a dog and you can feel the unconditional love from your dog a cat i don't know do cats love i don't i don't know i've only had one cat for a very short period of time we didn't get rid of it we just that's a different story but <clears throat> I, cats don't have a great reputation of being uh nice but i don't know i've i just i haven't experienced it maybe they're all different but we know how the world should be. And we lament that it is not what it should be. Right? We know that it should be this place of love. We know uh, that the original design for the earth, for humanity, you know, the Garden of Eden, was just this good, beautiful love experience. And yet, what happened, right? 
Even in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible that gives us details of early humans, we see a massive deficiency of love. I mean, right from the beginning. We read about two brothers named Cain and Abel, and Cain was so jealous of his brother Abel that he took him out into a secluded field and just killed him. By chapter 6 in Genesis, we see that the whole world is filled with violence. And the Bible says every inclination of men's hearts was only evil continually. Recorded history over the last 6,000 years gives detailed accounts of all kinds of evil, hatred, from genocides to wars to domestic violence to racism, oppression and greed, sex trafficking, and a thousand other things. Ours is a planet troubled by hatred. And most of us, however, did not uh, you know, discover <laughs> that the world is full of hate um, by reading history books, right? But we, we discovered it on the school playground. Maybe we discovered it in our neighborhood, neighborhood bullies, or even in family dynamics. We've all experienced it. We've all been hated at times. Jesus was hated, hated without reason, the Bible says. He was despised and rejected. Some of us have felt the sting of betrayal. Or maybe in high school, you were just dumped by someone. Man, that hurts. We've all felt hatred. We live in this world of hatred. It's part of the human experience in this fallen world. Well, the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago marked the beginning of God's good plan to overthrow hate and to establish an everlasting kingdom of love. Isaiah the prophet put it this way, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Wow. The imagery in the Bible reveals that the kingdom of Christ's love will not come all at once. It will slowly and steadily overtake the world like floodwaters. You know, it started with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the prophets, Adam and Eve. I mean, there was love, right, in the garden. There was love in the days of Moses and the days of King David. The prophets were burning in their hearts with love. But after Christ arrived, the love of God increased. The manifestation of the love of God increased dramatically. And 
spread around the globe and has been spreading for 2,000 years. But we're not there yet. One day, all hate and all injustice shall be done away with completely. And what will remain is a world of perfect, abounding, divine love. It's hard to even imagine that. Imagine a world with no hate at all. Imagine every single relationship being marked by perfect love. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading. That's where this whole thing is moving to. I know sometimes it, it doesn't seem that way when we flip through uh, you know, social media or read the newspaper or read magazines or just hear what's going on in the world. It just seems like this place is crazy. It's a mess. It's vicious. And yet, that's where we're moving toward. The trajectory is God is going to clean up this mess and he is going to create a world full of harmony. Well, <clears throat> I want to uh, set before you today how this love of God has been demonstrated and manifested. All right, we're going to look at two things, the demonstration of God's love and the manifestation of God's love, uh, sort of the revelation of God's incredible love for humanity and how he has made that real to us, to those who hunger for it. The Christian faith says that Christ was not just an ordinary man, right? He was not just an ordinary child that was born. Theologians explain it this way, which really kind of doesn't make sense, it's a paradox, but that he's 100% uh, God and 100% man. We call this mystery the incarnation. Christ came into the world not just to show us how to live or to teach us about the character of God. He came for one reason, to die for the sins of the world. Though he never sinned himself and was perfectly innocent, he went like a lamb to the slaughter. He was arrested, mocked, beaten, flogged, crucified publicly. And the sacrificial death of the innocent lamb of God was to make payment for our sin. That's what it's all about. That's what the whole Bible is about. The voluntary death of Christ is the single greatest demonstration of God's love that we know. I say voluntary, use that word voluntary, because God was not obligated to create people who he knew would rebel and who he would need to die for in order to save. But God willingly and cheerfully according to his good pleasure, chose this plan that involves us, knowing what it would cost him 
I've communicated that truth many times throughout the years, and it really just never gets old to me. It blows my mind the more I think about it. That, you know, if I was God and I started to think about, okay, I could create these people, but they're going to rebel and fall, and, and then that's going to require me to have to give my life as a ransom for them, be crucified, to, you know, save them, to have them, to have a people. I don't think any of us would follow through with that idea, especially when in ourselves as God there are no needs. God has no need for anything. God didn't make us. God didn't count the cost and and just go through with it because he was just so lonely up in heaven. God is perfectly satisfied in himself, and yet he chose this plan that would involve such cost to himself out of love to share what he is with a people. That's the story of the gospel. That's the part of the Christmas story. This is partly how we know the God who made all things is love. Here's how the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Christians in Rome put it. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that any of us were so good that it propelled God to come and save us. Saving us was not an afterthought. God was not surprised after he created humanity and and, and, and people sinned. God wasn't like, oh, what am I going to do now? And, you know, big conference amongst the Trinity to try to figure it out. No, none of this took God by surprise. We've all sinned. We're all guilty. He knew that was going to happen. There's no one without sin, no one who's ever lived is without sin, without guilt, except for Jesus. Christ came and died for us. We are so loved, if you think about it, that while we were these unlovable, undeserving, sinful, rebellious creatures, that God decided to give his life for us. This act of Jesus giving his life as a ransom has just has massive implications for every human being. It means that when we place our trust in Jesus, all of our guilty stains are removed. And the sentence of eternal death that is on us as rebellious, sinful human creatures is canceled. It's canceled. That's what the arrival of Jesus 
2,000 years ago is all about. Well, this leads me to the second thing I want to share with you. God has manifested his love to people by a direct infusion through the Holy Spirit. You know, some think that the Christian faith is merely just, you know, kind of an idea, you know, a set of ideas, a set of doctrines that, a set of beliefs that Christians hold to, uh, you know, to kind of give them guidance or to, to give them some hope for the future, that it's just an idea. It's a big idea that we just believe. But it's so much more than that. Consider this verse in Romans, again, Romans chapter 5, from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. God's love, he says, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. I think the NIV that I started reading when I first became a Christian says, shed abroad. Maybe it's the King James, I'm not sure. I think it's NIV. It just gives this idea of just shed abroad, released, this infusion of divine love inside of us by the Holy Spirit. This is a profound mystery. God has not only demonstrated his love by dying on a cross 2,000 years ago, but he has manifested his love in us. We don't merely have a belief. We have the actual, tangible presence of God's love within us. The very substance of God's love is put inside of us. And we experience it. We drink it. We taste it. We don't have it in full measure. It comes in waves, right? Sometimes it seems to be running low, uh, maybe because we're so distracted or whatever, but there are times when the love of God is made so real to us. Even (laughs) think about some of us singing the song that we sang this morning, He Loves Us. Oh, how He loves us. There's been times just singing that song, that it just became real and his love became more than an idea that I was singing about, but it became an embrace, a divine embrace. It's hard to explain those things. The Bible calls this a new birth. God, the Spirit, takes up residence within us. And he enables us to love with his own love. I remember when I was, I became a Christian at 21, as you probably know, because I've told the story so many times, but there was a, a short season when I was about maybe 19 when I had kind of a, I guess sort of a false conversion where I, you know, had kind of met this Christian lady and she told me about some things. And so I kind of made this commitment to be a Christian, but I really didn't, really wasn't a Christian. I was still, you know, I was still a sinner. And, but I remember giving it my best try to, you know, to love, you know, to, to love the way, you know, I guess God wants us to love. 
And wow, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to, to do without God's Holy Spirit. But, you know, then when I was 21 and the real love of God came inside of me, and I found myself just loving every single person. I mean, I was like SpongeBob. You know, I just loved everybody. <laughs> you know, I just, it was so different than my best version of human love, you know, a couple years earlier. I knew it was otherworldly. I knew it was not from me. It was God himself working inside of me. Well, the story of many is that they spent years trying different religions, attempting to be good, striving to do good works, even earnestly involving themselves maybe in a church, but none of it was able to get to the root of their guilt or their hate. In other words, they, they tried everything they could to scrub away inner guilt and hate, but nothing worked. That, that's kind of my story there. Oh, they found uh, Band-Aids and distractions. They found therapists to tell them that they didn't need to feel guilty. But at the end of the day, they still perceived within themselves an inner guilt that, if honest, in certain moments, terrified them, terrified me. I remember just, you know, don't really think about it too often when you're, when you're not a, a Christian, but every once in a while, I would just think, wow, what if I die? What, what if I die? I have this guilt inside of me from so many different things that I've done in my life. Like, what it's unresolved. What if I stand before God? It's a terrifying thought. But then, through some strange unfolding of circumstances, the grace of God appears to them, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them and flushes the guilt right out of them. Their guilt is completely, utterly removed. There's a newfound joy like no joy they've ever experienced. Hate inside them melts away, and they receive a new heart. And they know it. Nobody can tell them otherwise. They didn't just start believing about Jesus. They didn't just start believing about the Christian faith or start attending a church. They experienced a spiritual birth. You know, people think this sounds crazy, but... To those who have encountered the love of God, they know that it happened to them. Imagine a man who's been in a dungeon his whole life, but was rescued and is now enjoying life on a beautiful, sunny island. It would be like asking him, yeah, but how do you know that you're not still in the dungeon? He just... Prove that you're not in the dungeon. I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know how to prove it. He just knows. Because he knows what it's like to be in the dungeon. 
and he knows that he's no longer in it. That's how it is with those who are born of the Spirit. Now, I will say a side note here that the exception to this would be those who came to Christ so young that they have almost no experience or memory of life in the dungeon. And if that's you, just that's just thank God every day for that, that you didn't have to spend much time in the dungeon where you were like three years old or four years old or whatever. But what does all this mean for the world we live in? If it is really true that Christ was born into the world 2,000 years ago to make it possible for us to experience divine love now and forever, then, okay, here's the question, the most important question that humans should ask, right? Well, what must a person do to receive this love? You know, as I prepped this message, I was really feeling like I don't want to just, I don't know, give this like fluffy, flowery little Christmas message. Oh, God is love and everybody feels you know, fuzzy afterward. I want this to be concrete. I want this to have some application to it because I know uh, some in this room and some listening to this message uh, may not be feeling the love of God and may be very much devoid of the love of God. So what do we do about that? Can we do anything? I mean, some say it's all just, you know, a big cosmic lottery, right? You just have to you know, hope that you're one of the chosen ones. You know, like in Toy Story, when the claw comes down and all the other ones are like, you have been chosen. <laughs> you know, is it, is it like that, that you just have to hope that the claw comes down and, you know, pick me, pick me. I mean, do we just start calling ourselves Christians and, and, and just like kind of pretend that we're, we got this thing. I don't think we're supposed to pretend. I mean, what must we do to really obtain this divine love that we're talking about, that Christ came to bring? I mean, can anything be done? Listen, one of the central messages of Jesus during his earthly ministry was this. He would go about from village to village, right, saying this, repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. He was essentially revealing to people the gateway into the kingdom of God. To repent, I mean, I think we've all heard that word, and it's probably been maybe overused in Christian circles or just sort of made strange-sounding in the world, but it just means to change your mind, you know, to turn. Turn away from sin and devote yourself to following Jesus and his commands. To illustrate, when I was younger, I used to love spicy Slim Jims. But one day I was awakened reading the ingredients, you know, while I was standing in line in the grocery store, just bored, 
and discovered that they were made of mechanically separated chicken parts. Right there and then, I repented (laughs) of eating Slim Jims. I changed my mind about Slim Jims, even though they do taste good, but I just, the whole picture of the chickens and just, I, there was no way. I was done at that point. It was a decision to turn my back on them forever. And that's what it means to repent. It's a 180 degree turn. It's a change of mind. And that's what we need to do. We need to turn away from our sin and turn to Christ. That's not really an option. You know, I think that, especially in America, we, and maybe because we're so privileged and entitled, we just feel like, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to, you know, believe about Jesus and cash in on, the, on eternal life and all the promises and everything, but I'm just going to keep pretty much living the way I live. That's not really how it works, you know? It's, Jesus showed us the gateway, the way in, is repentance. We have to turn away from sin and turn to God. The other half of the call of Jesus is to believe. Repent and believe. To believe is much more than than just believing about Jesus. Uh, even, Even the demons, the Bible says, believe in that way, right? I mean, they believe all about Jesus. The demons are probably pretty theologically sound, Oh, they believe Jesus exists, and they tremble at the name of Jesus. So it's more than just believing about Jesus. It's to admit we can't save ourselves. It's to surrender our lives to God, to cling to him in life and in death, to believe it is, you know, to believe it's to no longer trust in ourselves, but to trust in God for our eternal salvation. It's to follow his voice, to obey his commands. The evidence that we really have faith is not what we say, it's what we do, it's how we live. If we claim to, for example, believe in Jesus but still hate people, we don't have saving faith. Well, let me bring this in for a landing. This decision to repent and believe is yours and yours alone. God calls you to do it and you can do it. Nobody can make you do it. Even the most persuasive sermon cannot force you to do it. Even God himself will not override your will, though he certainly could if he wanted to. But God sets before us life and death. He cries out to all, come to the salvation waters. The invitation goes out to all the world to repent and believe the gospel. 
Acts chapter 17 says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Whosoever is willing is welcomed to come and receive eternal life. The door is open to all. So we can come humbly to God and receive his love, or we can push away, reject the greatest gift of all. The decision is ours. I was thinking that on that great day when we stand before God, there will be no excuses. I've thought about this so much through the years. Like, no one will be able to say, oh, well, I just didn't know about this. Or, you know, I would have repented and believed, but I just wasn't capable of it. Nobody's going to say, well, I wasn't in Christ because, you know, uh, God just didn't choose me for some reason. No one will say, I can't be held responsible because I had no ability to respond. Nobody will say anything like that when they stand before his blazing holiness. If you're listening to this message here in this room or through the live stream at home, I want to ask you this question. Do you have this divine love in your heart? If not, my question is, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for God? He's already made the first move. The decision's ours to open up our hearts wide and receive his love. And so I exhort you as the pastor, as a friend, don't let another Christmas slide by without receiving the love of God. Open your heart wide to his beautiful love. You will never regret it. It was over 30 years ago for me, and I've never regretted that decision. That love continues to deepen year after year after year. It's a tough world. It's a tough life. Life is not easy, but there's something about the love of God that just sweetens everything. It gives us hope. It carries us. Don't try to live. You don't have to live life without that love burning in your heart. You know, God takes no pleasure in us rejecting his love. He takes no pleasure when we live at a distance from him. He wants us to come near. Maybe you think he doesn't want you to come near because you feel so unworthy or dirty or whatever. That's what the gospel's all about. We're all dirty. 
There's nobody deserving. There's nobody good enough. There's nobody, the God, you know, the claw coming down and says, ooh, that one looks pretty. Well, that one looks like he's got potential. That one looks like he's got some virtue. No, God chooses sinners, weak, broken, sinful, rebellious creatures to be his children, and he changes us. So if you're separated from God's love this Christmas season, I just urge you, don't stay put. Don't continue to put up a wall toward God. Don't continue to push him away. Forget about what people say. Oh, but people in the culture and people, you know, this is what, what are people going to think if I'm, you know, I identify with, just forget about all of that. You, when we stand before God, we're not there with our peers. You know, we're, we're not there with the rest of society. We're not there with all the cool people who, you know, thought it was, you know, narrow or whatever, or uncool to, to follow Jesus. We're there alone before the creator, Right? To dust we came, and to dust we will return. And we will stand before him alone. Forget about what people think. I mean, it's, it's not pleasant at times as a follower of Jesus to just be kind of moving against the grain. And, and it's, you know, it's tough not fitting in. Jesus was despised and hated, hated without reason. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they're, they're going to hate you. Too. So yeah, sure, that's part of the cost of being a Christian. You don't quite fit into this world the way you maybe did before. Okay, that's painful. But it's, it's really nothing. It pales in comparison to the surpassing greatness of just knowing the love of God. So don't be deceived. Don't let the culture deceive you. Don't let society, anybody deceive you. Don't let Satan himself deceive you. Hear the voice of God calling you home and respond. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's just close our eyes for a moment. We are ending nice and early. So we'll just take a few minutes to... Um, talk to the Lord. I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to just give you, give you a little space, um, maybe about a minute or so, just to talk with God in your, own, in your own heart. You don't have to speak out loud. You don't have to. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows everything about you. He knows every hair on your head. So if you, in the deep of your mind, just Say something to him. doesn't have to be fancy. He hears you. So I'll give you a few moments to do that. How deep the Father's love for us. Vast beyond all measure. Lord, thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for demonstrating 
your love for us, even while we were sinners, undeserving sinners, you gave your life for us. Lord, thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for making us your sons and daughters. We don't, we don't deserve that. Um, but you've crowned us with loving kindness. You've showered us with your love. You've given us a place in your family. You've given us peace with God. You've wiped away all of our guilt and sin. You've made it so that we actually can feel confident on the day of judgment. Not because we're so good or so perfect, but because we know that we have an advocate, Jesus, the righteous one. Lord, thank you for just walking with us. Lord, it is a difficult life. It is hard to deal with all that this earth throws at us at times. But Lord, thank you for carrying us. Thank you for being our shepherd. That even if you know, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with us. Your goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Lord, we're going to be with you forever. Lord, you are so good. Lord, I pray specifically for those who are still separated from the love of God. I pray that they would not overthink it or overcomplicate it. I pray that they would just open wide their hearts to you. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't worry about, you know, what people are going to think or what their relatives are going to think or what their spouse is going to think or what anybody is going to think, but I pray that they would be consumed with what you, what you think. And Lord, I pray for them that you would just open them up, God, to receive. Pour out your love in them. It's funny that when we when we taste the love of God, we, we, we practically kick ourselves for not receiving it sooner. We, we realize how foolish we were to wait this long to pursue the love of God. Lord, I pray for those who are just still lingering in their stubbornness. Lord, I pray that you would awaken them, help them to come to their senses and, and just receive your love. Make yourself known to them this Christmas. Lord, we love you and we pray that everything that we've done in this place this morning would be a sweet, sweet offering to you. Um, we owe you everything in response to what you have done for us. So we devote our lives to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. I hope to see you on Christmas Eve. And if I don't, have a wonderful uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs>